Amen. Uh, I was thinking back, we, we are in Exodus, thank you, Bennett, we're in Exodus chapter 40, it's the last one. We are going to finish out the book of Exodus this morning, which I, yeah, I know, right? Praise God, Stokes is excited about it. I'm glad you're excited. Man, you're there for me, I appreciate that about you. <clears throat> I was uh, thinking back to 2001, a movie was coming out called Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And I didn't know anything about Lord of the Rings. I didn't know it was written by a Christian. I didn't know it had Christian principles. I just knew that I'd seen this trailer that looked really amazing with like orcs and elves and cool stuff like this. And so the radio, uh, which is pre-Spotify and Apple Music and stuff like that. So I'm listening to the radio over at my buddy's house. I'm spending the night at Brandon's house. And they, they come over to the radio and they're like, hey, we're about to give away two free tickets to this new movie coming out, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. So I grabbed probably not my cell phone, but a portable phone and pulled out the antenna. And I, I, I looked up the radio station. I, I put the number in and I didn't press the go button and I just waited. And so I just sat by the, by the radio waiting. And so sure enough, a bit of time passes and they say, all right, guys, if you want the free tickets, call in now. If you're the whatever caller, then you get the free ticket. So I hit the go button and somebody picks up on the end. And I keep in mind, I don't know anything about Lord of the Rings. So I just start making this funny voice and I say, I am the Lord of the Rings. And the girl on the other side of the phone at the radio station said, you are not the correct caller, but I'm going to give you the tickets anyway. And I was like, that is awesome. And she's like, what's your name? My name's Will. She said, Will? Yeah. Hey, this is Sarah. What's up, Sarah? What's going on? We start having this conversation. I end up getting these tickets to Lord of the Rings, become the biggest fan, then realize, oh, there's a lot of cool Jesus stuff tucked into this thing. Well, fast forward however many years it was to them having the final movie. I, I leave one of my finals in college, and I'm looking at my watch, hoping I'm going to make it back to the next one because we're standing in line to get tickets where they're going to play all three of the Lord of the Rings movies in one straight set. They've catered dinner in. These were, this was the biggest expense I spent in college outside of my wife and getting her to become my wife. And I'm standing there watching the clock like, I'm going to miss one of my finals. Finally get it. I pay, and I spend an entire day at the movie theater with a bunch of my friends watching the extended editions of every movie and then they premiere the third one, The Return of the King. Now, if you've never seen The Return of the King, that was an awful lot of buildup for something that you cannot appreciate. And I'm very sorry about that, but it meant a lot to me and I'm inviting you into my world for a minute. So I am watching this series of movies that I have fallen in love with over the past five to seven years. And we get to the end of the last movie, and if you remember, you follow one storyline, and it fades to black. And you're like, oh man, what an incredible trilogy, what an incredible movie. And then it comes back up to picture. And you follow somebody else for like five or ten minutes, and it fades to black. And you're like, oh my gosh, that was incredible that I got to follow that person and this people. And then it comes back up, and you're sitting there in the theater wondering, when is this story going to end? And at the same time saying, I hope that it never really does. And when I look at the last few verses in Exodus chapter 40, where we are going to be, that is what it makes me think of. If you remember correctly, we started this journey in Exodus quite a long time ago. 
We started with a guy, Moses, who was really a nobody. Not only was he a nobody, he was a murderer. And God says, you're going to be the one that I use. We followed this people of God that go from slaves to being rescued slaves that then turn their back on God. And we just followed the storyline through the whole time, God weaving his grace and his love for his people together. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because Exodus closes very similarly, and I don't want any of us to miss the beauty in it. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip there. If you're in verse 34, I want you to back up to verse 1, and I want to show you something neat. Let me pray for us as we begin. God, this is your word. It is not ours. It is your time. It is not yours. Even the lives that we have, the air that we breathe, the blood that runs through our veins, it is yours, not ours. And for those of us who are in Christ, it is exceedingly more yours because we were bought at a very expensive price. And so as Karen Ann said this morning, and as we have sung and as we have prayed, may our heart, our mind, our emotions, our affections, every bit of our being be tucked into this incredible word that you have given us. Because in it we see yourself. And in it we find redemption, salvation, and hope. And so, Father, I pray all of those things for us and over us. May your spirit be with us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, guys, so Exodus chapter 40. If you look back in verse 1, I just kind of want you to look in your Bibles uh, across the whole thing. If you're at home, take a minute. It's worth it. Grab your Bible, hit pause. You can come back in a second. And what we see is that throughout the entire book of Exodus, four times this picture behind me, the, the tabernacle is described. Now, each time it's described, it's described a little differently. The first list, is the, it's the longest, and it's the one that we as a church read through together. We talked about the altar, and we talked about the holy of holies. We talked about the curtains and all of the different aspects of it. Well, in chapters 36 through 39, Aholiab and Bezalel, these guys that we talked about last week, that God empowered to do the work of God, they begin actually doing the work. So the first list that we see in Exodus, the first item, does anybody want to guess what the first item is in the first list? It's okay if you get it wrong once. Yeah, what? The ark? Did somebody say the ark? You can shake your head and act like you got it right. The ark, yeah, way to go, Michael. The the ark is the first thing that we see. Why is it going to be built first? No, because when God is walking these people through, he's saying, this is the most important thing. It's being listed first. Well, when Aholiab and Bezalel begin building, they don't start there. They instead begin with the tent. Because if you're going to actually build this project, that's where you're going to begin. Now, if you're in verse 40, if you look at verses 1 to 16, we have another list. This is the list of things being built up and put into place. You'll see a bunch of you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall in the first paragraph. And then in the second paragraph, God says, go through and anoint it and make it holy. Anoint it and make it holy. So they begin building building and erecting all of these things. And then if you look in verses 17 to 33, you find the last of four verses, and it's all of the details. Hey, go grab the curtain, pull it across, make sure all the ringlets are like this, and we get to the first little cliffhanger of the text in verse 16 and 33. I think, Bruno, can you, are you doing both of them at the same time? I can't remember. No? Okay, so here's verse 16. Moses, this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. So Moses is confident, hey, I did it the way that God called me to do it. We get to the end of the other list in verse 33, and it says this, so Moses finished the work. And there's a cliffhanger there, whether you see it or not. Here is what, that, that, this could be an entire sermon, so don't miss this. 
the temple, the tabernacle, has been listed to us four times over a, a pretty long period of time, over about a year in their, in their life. I want you to understand this. The, the tabernacle never changed. What you're looking at behind me right now, it never changed. They may have listed it in order of theology importance, in order of build, in order of manufacture. It could have been listed in different ways, but the tabernacle never changed. God's plan to come to his people never changed. But do you know what has changed so, so much? His people have. His people have changed an awful lot since God began this mission. Moses, the murderer, has been redeemed and become a leader. This group of people that were enslaved have become the cherished possession of God. And when I think about the fact that we began working through this book a long time ago, there's a lot of things that have changed for us as well. We didn't used to meet with an air conditioner humming when we began this book. When we began this book, there was no spaced seating. When we began this book, some of you weren't engaged. Some of you weren't married. When we began this book, some of you didn't have children, or at least not that children. Some of us had marriages that were on the rocks, and God has been faithful to bring us through. Some of us today are wondering if God will. We have changed. God hasn't. Not even a little bit. Before we even dig, we just can't miss this as we look at these lists. God is who he says he is, and he always will be. But we get to this place in verse 33, and the question is, they've built it, they've done the best that they could. A busted people. I don't know if you've ever been there where you feel like God calls you to do something, and you're legit about it. You're like, I'm prayerful, I'm reading, I'm giving it my time, my talent, my energy, whatever I've got. Is it good enough, God? Is it good enough for what you have called me to do? And then here is what we read. This is verse 34 through 38 of Exodus 40, and this is the heart of our time this morning. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God, is it enough? Moses, God, have I done it enough? It was so particular and it took us so much time. Is it enough? And I've got to show you this because I absolutely love it. If you're holding an ESV Bible and you look in verse 34, here's what you see. If you're holding a CSB Bible, you'll see something a little different. Sometimes I, I know that this is kind of like nerdy Christianity and let's dig and look at the Greek and the Hebrew. Just follow with me because this is really, really cool. The, the, what you see in the Christian standard is... An issue where when they look at the text, they're wrestling with is, do you see the only difference in the two? The word then, right? That's the only difference in the text. And the reason that the CSB puts it this way is because when we look at the original languages, a lot of scholars are questioning, it reads better if we say, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. But it's hard to actually see that word there. What it seems like is it says, Moses did the cloud covered the tent of meeting. 
God is putting on display, I believe, in this place that there was no then, there was no moment, there wasn't even a fractal of a second between the moment that the last thread was put in place before the last drapery or curtain was closed, the last tent peg drove into the ground. The moment the work is done, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And so God in heaven, leaning over, is eagerly waiting And as soon as his children have turned and truly come, he is there. It's one of the most amazing things to me about this text. And it makes me think about the fact that sometimes I'm so concerned with how I show up here. And I'm not talking about like, is my tie straight? I've got a wife to like fix all of that action. I'm more talking about like, when I show up, is my heart in the right place? All right, I showed up to church. Am I actually prayed up? Did I repent of all that garbage from last night? Uh, Have I fixed what happened with my kid the other day? Oh, now I feel, I'm walking into church feeling guilty for not picking up my Bible in a handful of days. I haven't listened to a worship song in weeks. And we walk in, and and, and don't get me wrong, there's a sense, yeah, we should should sort of feel like punks for being punks. But the, the other reality is, as we walk into this place, never, ever, ever, ever forget, God is so eager to meet with you. He, he, in this moment, is so eager to meet with you, specifically you, knowing all of your baggage and all of your brokenness. In this moment, God wants to be near us. So God doesn't just keep his word. He does so eagerly. And my hope is this. Can we finish this book? Can we spend these next few minutes leaning in, eagerly seeing what God has for us. When, when we look at the, the text that I just read to you, there are four reasons that we see that God eagerly meets his people. I'm going to show you all of them right now. Hey, if you're a note taker, feel free. You're going to see these come up throughout the morning. But four reasons God eagerly meets with his people, and he does in the cloud. One, to cover them and display his glory. Uh, all I'm doing is telling you exactly what the cloud did as it appeared. As soon as Moses finished the work. Another reason God eagerly meets his people to block entry. And you're like, time out, Will. That, you just told me God was eager to be with me. Yeah, that he is eager to meet, you, meet with you. But there's something important there. God's eager to meet with his people to guide them and to show himself faithful. Let's just take them one at a time. Four reasons God eagerly meets his people. Check out again verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, covers it up, every nook and every cranny, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God is doing what he did on Sinai. He's doing what he did for Moses in a burning bush. He's doing what he did to Pharaoh and the army. He is heralding. He is displaying, proclaiming, yelling, I am here. And not only am I here, but I am fully here. You're not just getting a little bit of me. You are getting every bit of me because I want you to have every piece of me. And in that moment, as the cloud fills this place, the tabernacle turns into a mobile mountain. Now, if you remember correctly, Moses meets with God. And what happens? Cloud comes down, fire, and God meets with him. The exact same thing happens now. And Moses is shown, hey, that mountain isn't going to move. Although if you had the faith, you could probably do it. But I am going to go with you wherever you are. And not in a little way, in a big, visible, obvious way. 
This becomes a portable, almost Garden of Eden, presence of God kind of thing. And God fills every nook and cranny. Why? Because God displays his glory through his people. If you want to pick one theme, if somebody ever says, hey, I need you to do a real quick Bible study. And you're like, okay, I don't know what to do. Here's what you do. You open the Bible anywhere you want. And you say, God desires to display his glory through his people. And everybody's like, oh, you're absolutely right. How did you come up with that? Because that's the whole thing. God desires to display his glory. And and we see it all over Moses. Exodus 3, this is where we found him. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Look at me, God, I am an absolute nobody. Perfect. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God meets him on a mountain for the first time. He's like, hey, Moses, Moses. And Moses turns. And God meets with him on the mountain. He sends him from the mountain. And sure enough, God delivers his people. And where do they go? Back to the mountain. And then as God is sending them into the promised land, what does he do? He says, the mountain is coming with you. The tabernacle is coming with you. Second thing the cloud does, it blocks entry. This is the second cliffhanger we see in Exodus chapter 40. Check out verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now you got to pick up and appreciate the irony here. It's literally called the tent of meeting. And then as soon as this happens, God's like, you can't come in. Right? Like, who does that? Who says, hey, man, we're really excited. We hope you'll come and join us at church. And then as soon as they show up at church, the door's locked and somebody's just sitting there like, what are you doing, man? Who do you think you are coming up in this place? And that's exactly what happens to Moses. And it seems like Moses tried to go in and God was like, no, no, no. This is not about to play out that way because we literally read Moses was not able. As, As though he was trying, he assumed, I'm about to walk into this place. But here's the thing. Does God eagerly want to meet with him? Absolutely he does. But God wants to eagerly meet with you on his terms, not on yours. And this shouldn't really surprise us. It definitely shouldn't surprise Moses. Because this is what happens when Moses meets God for the first time. Exodus 3 verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned, that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. He calls his name. This is the next thing that Moses hears from God. Do not enter. What? I'm walking around. There's a, a, God, you've made it pretty obvious. You want me to walk toward you like a moth to a flame. There's a bush on fire, and it just keeps burning. There's something kind of holy and unique about it. And then the voice of God speaks out, Moses, Moses. And Moses goes, and God's like, don't enter. What? What? What is this? What is happening here? Well, we see it again. Exodus 24, verse 15 and 16. Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. They they finally leave Egypt. Moses is on a high. We've done all these incredible miracles. My staff did this crazy thing, and the water opened up. Fire, frogs, locusts. God is so cool. We're really tight now, right? He goes up on the mountain, verse 16. The glory of the Lord dwelt on the mountain, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses. Moses is camping alone for six days. He's just standing there. Like, <laughs> did God not call him up? Absolutely he did. But God is in charge of his own time. Why? 
Because as we have gotten to Exodus 40, one of the things that we have to realize by this point is this. Passover has happened. Blood over the doorpost. Sacrifices have been laid out. What does it take to be close to God? Payment. Atonement. Our sin being dealt with. And that's exactly what we have here. God's like, hey, come here, come here, come here. Whoa, who do you think you are? And most of us are Americans, so here's how we read our Bible. We make it to the end of the book, which if we do, we're like, I am the best Christian in my neighborhood, right? So we get to the end of a book, especially if it's more than like uh, an epistle. Like if, if you get to the end of an epistle, you're like, okay, I'm a Christian, right? But if you finish Leviticus or Deuteronomy, you feel like you should become a deacon at your church now, or like you should get some preferential seating. And, and, and what we have to realize is when we're reading through the book of Exodus, it's part two of five. Of the Pentateuch. It's a five-part story, right? And so we get to the end, and Moses is like, you're not coming in. We were laughing about this. Uh, as you guys walk into the building, there's a kitchen off to the side. And the kids are not supposed to play in the kitchen. So if that's news to you, you just got a little bit extra out of the sermon this morning. Please don't go and play in the kitchen. It makes a nightmare for me on Monday to Friday. So don't do that. But I was going, and I was telling uh, my wife and Bree, I was like, hey, if y'all would turn the lights on in the kitchen, that would be great. It just looks so gloomy and dingy when people walk in. And they said, well, we left the lights out because we didn't want people to walk in there. And I was like, yeah, this is Exodus 40. Here's what you need to understand. I want the lights to be on so people want to go in there, but then I want the chairs in front so that they can't go in there. That's exactly what I need. And I was like, oh, well, this is perfect. This is what we're looking at. And when does God finally call Moses? Like he did at the bush and on the mountain. Leviticus 1. Super Christian who finished the book of Exodus, you still got to turn the page. And here's what we read. The Lord called Moses. It's the next thing. The very next book. Moses is like, come in. Oh, don't come in. And God's like, come here. And what does he do? He says, here's what the sacrifices look like. Just like I've been telling you from the beginning, payment must be made if you want to come close to me. This is why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. He's called the Lamb of God because he is the payment. He is the atonement. John 1.29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. John the Baptist did. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The sacrifice, the payment, and, and the descriptor who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. Paul's writing to a busted up church. And he says, for I delivered to you as, first of, as of first importance. Hey, there are a million things wrong with your church. We could say it about ours and about everybody else's. But Paul says this. Let me tell you what's most important. That I deliver of first importance what I receive. Christ died for our sins. That's what it's all about. You've sinned. You need payment. Christ died for it. And that's exactly what we see. The, the cloud fills the temple and it blocks entry. But it's not blocking it forever. It's blocking every other way for people to get in and through the Son of God. It's blocking every other time for them to get in, except the time when they'll be humble enough to get on their knees and repent and recognize that they can't earn, they can't do, they don't deserve. That's what we see. God is not at our disposal. We are at His. And we need to remind ourselves of that. So many times we think, hey, I'm opening up my Bible. Boom, here we go. Hey, I'm going to pray right now. I've got five minutes. You know what I'm not going to do? I'm not just going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to listen to worship. Hey, God, aren't you lucky to have me right now? God is not at our disposal. We are at his. And one of the most reasons this is most important, if you're a Christian, is this changes the way you evangelize. 
I was in youth ministry long enough to know that there are a million times when people are going to say, hey, after I do this, then I'm going to get right with God. Let me just have these years. Let me just have this relationship. Let me just have this thing. And then I'm going to get right with God. And we don't see that here. If you are a Christian and you hear someone say that, please love them enough to press in and help them realize this one biblical truth. God is not going to change. He will receive you if you repent. But here's the problem. If you keep going after the lifestyle you're going, you will change. Your heart will get hard. You may get to the point to where those years later, those months later, that relationship later, you don't even desire it. This is where Hebrews 3 pops in. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What day is it? Today. So here's your instruction, Christian. Every day you wake up, sin in you wants to deceive you. And wants to tell you that you're already good enough, you've already done enough, that you need no more. That the people in your lives who need the gospel of Jesus are going to figure it out sometime. We never, ever, ever get to take our foot off the gas as Christians with the gospel. We rest in Christ. We rest in his work, but we never become lazy. We don't set the cruise control. We, we don't even get to hold the steering wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. You, you don't get the wheel or the accelerator. You're just happy to be in the car. And the window's down and you're like, do you know Jesus? Because you need to. Every day. And this is what's so great. We're in Hebrews now, right? Hebrews, James, Peter, Peter, John, 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 Jude, Revelation. We're, we're toward, that was my uh, children's church song. Did you teach me that? Okay, all right. So we're, we're like nine books away from the end of the Bible in Hebrews, what I'm reading to you now. And do you know what it's pointing to? Exodus. Check out verse 16 or 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What rebellion, God? What are you talking about? For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Here is Exodus in Hebrews. And what's it pointing to? This group of hard-hearted people who watched God deliver them from slavery, rain bread from above, bring quail into a camp, make water come out of a rock, lead them into a land, and they couldn't enter it because they didn't believe. If today is the day, I may be speaking to somebody in this room, I may be speaking to someone at home. If God is working in your life for salvation, for repentance, for for moving away from some sin, some brokenness, and maybe you have hidden it so, so well. Don't harden your heart. The day will come where God will be the same God, but you will not be the same person. Don't joke yourself into believing that if you feel that conviction now, it is going to be his gift to you a year from now. If the people who saw the Exodus, who lived through it, doubted, we must be careful. Thirdly, the cloud guides. It, it, it doesn't get a whole lot more simple than this. This is verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken out. It doesn't get any easier than this. When God moved, his people followed. Where God moved, his people went. All right, so what does that mean for us? Well, as a church, we've sort of lived this life, right? 
We were going to be there, then that didn't work. We went there, it worked for a while, but then the city said we couldn't do that. We moved here, and we're doing this, but now we got COVID. So how is this whole thing going to work? You look at your own life. You look at the relationships you're in, the place that you work, the family that you've got. All of these realities, God has put you where he has put you, when he has put you where he has put you. Be where you are. God could move his people in a moment. They didn't get to decide. God did. We rest, we watch, we follow, and we obey. That's all we do. We trust God. Why God moved where he did, when he did, was never part of the equation. Where's God got you? He has made zero mistakes in that. You may have changed over the past number of years, but he has not. And then we see this, the cloud remains. This is the last verse out of that text, verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And I read this, and I was like, well, how long was that? We find that it's that way until Ezekiel 10, centuries. Every morning, they look and they see the cloud. Every night, they look and they see the fire. And then when God picks it up and moves, they're like, all right, guys, it's time to go. And you may be thinking, centuries, well, don't I need God to be faithful for more than a few centuries? Yes, you do, but... the. The dummies started building idols inside the altar to other gods. The guy was like, look, this is my place. If you're going to do that, I'm going to siesta over here. You get your lives right, and God never abandons his people. He is right there. The reason I think it's important for us to see these four reasons God eagerly wants to be with us is because I think it may change the way that you read a verse that many of you know well in the New Testament. Go ahead and flip over to Luke Chapter 9. This is the transfiguration. Luke chapter 9. Verse 28. There's so many things tucked into this. So cool. Luke 9. 28. Now about eight days after these sayings. He took with him Peter and John and James. And went up on the mountain to pray. So where is Jesus? Jesus is where Moses was. He is on top of. Of a mountain, the tabernacle being this temporary moving mountain, verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. Guess who also had his face altered? Moses. But just in case you miss the mountain, and just in case you miss the changing of appearance, it becomes very explicit. His clothing became dazzling white, verse 30. And behold, two men were talking to him Moses and Elijah. Here we are in the New Testament on a mountain with Jesus, and who shows up? Lo and behold, a dude who hung out with God on a mountain and led his people. And what are they talking about? Verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Remember, you can always preach that. They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, so Moses and Elijah are about to leave. And Jesus is staying on the mountain. And and Peter and James and John are seeing this thing play out. They're about to leave. And Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. I have no clue where that line came from. Like, who does Peter think he is? It is so good that we are here. I I hope he was being humble. Like, it is good that we are here. Like, this is going to bless my, I don't know. Peter was a little hot-headed. He may have been like, you're so lucky to have me because, he goes on and he says, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, for Moses, for Elijah. And then the Bible makes it very clear, not knowing what he said. What, is it, what does it mean, not knowing what he said? Acts 7, 48. The most holy does not dwell in houses made by hands. The most holy 
does not dwell in houses made by hands. And what was Peter's first knee-jerk reaction? We've got Jesus, we've got Moses, we've got Elijah. Guys, don't leave yet, don't leave yet. I can build you a tent. There are three of us, we're going to build three tents. It's going to be great. This is going to be the best revival, the best worship. It's going to be amazing. And Moses and Elijah have to be like, who is this guy? This guy's going to write books of the Bible, right? Which we're going to begin in a few weeks. First Peter, I'm super stoked about it. And, and, and Jesus lovingly has to deal with this guy, verse 34. As he was saying these things, it's like as Peter's getting it out, the Bible's already said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. As Peter's like, but we could build three tents. Like as it's happening, we read this. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Peter, don't need your plan. Don't need your idea. Don't need your building. The most holy does not dwell in houses made by men. That they're coming wanting to be near to God. And God doesn't point to a place. He doesn't point to a mountain. He doesn't point to a tent or a tabernacle. God points to a person. When we need nearness with God, you don't need this room. When you need nearness with God, you do not need me. When you need nearness with God, you need only one thing. It is not a place. I know that a lot of you have wonderful places in your mind. I remember at Sharp Top, uh, I was right off the dining hall. I, I was under my Charlotte Hornets bomber jacket in the woods with my face in the leaves, crying out to God. I remember that moment. I remember sitting in the chapel at Camp Joy in Hamilton on the left pew forefront, just bawling my eyes out, desiring to be near to God. You have these memories. You don't need that place. You needed the same thing that you found when you went there. You need the person of Christ. And that is what's amazing about this. Exodus 40, the cloud covers it in verse 34. Exodus 35, God meets and gives his law. And now God is giving his son. And this is completely appropriate. Why? Because the cloud came to cover and fill. And Jesus says, I'm here to display God's glory and cover your life with my life. That's why when he was talking about Lazarus in John 11, he says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Just like the cloud fills up and displays glory, Jesus steps into the brokenness, he steps into the death, he steps into the disease, and he displays God's glory and fills up every nook and cranny of his people. The cloud blocks entry. And you know what? So does Jesus. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't come through this door. You can't come through this door. You can't come through this door. And you can't even come through me the door if you don't first recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus blocks the way. Just like the cloud comes to guide, Jesus guides us. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Jesus is the one who remains always faithful, just like the cloud was. Century after century after century. Revelation 1.17. We almost went from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We were this close. And what do we find? When I saw him, I fell at his feet. John uh, writing what he saw. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last 
and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Beginning to end and everything in between, Jesus is the faithful one. And for those of us who take this offer in Christ, something amazing happens. I want to end the book of Exodus helping us realize that the Exodus is not just God's people being led from slavery. But every moment of the day, as the Spirit of God fills us up, He is wanting us to walk out of the lives that we lived and are tempted to live into the new life that He calls us to. Let me show you this in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.19, so then, if you have trusted in Christ, you have put your belief in him, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen to all the building terms, right? We've been building a tabernacle for the last half of Exodus. You are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom, in whom the whole structure is joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. If you're a Christian, some of you are two by fours. Some of you are gorgeous rugs. Some of you are little ringlets and some of you are studs. Some of you are not. Every one of us play a role in what God has called us to if we are in him. Now, let me explain why why this is so important to me. Church is not what it has been for decades or centuries. That's what you're living in. That is the time that God chose for you to live in. That is the place that God chose for you to live in. The church is not operating as it usually did. But do you know what has not changed? God's plans, his purposes, and his, and his grace. The most important thing for, to me For us as a church to understand from the book of Exodus is this. There was a people who wanted to see, hear, and be near God. And he made a way. He sent them out. And then he said, you are going to be the place where I dwell. You, literally, all of the people that I am looking at right now and who are looking at me at home. If you are in Christ, this is what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be the thing that displays the glory of God in every nook and cranny of your world. You're supposed to walk in such a way that there is a dividing line between what is holy and what is not in everything that you live and do. The the lives that we live are supposed to be every one of the things that we see in this. We're supposed to guide people in the paths of righteousness through every trial, temptation, and difficulty. And we remain faithful. That is the best testimony you got. That you never give up on God. This church, Midtree, does not need a building. That is not our biggest need. Your neighbors and the world do not need another preacher online. They don't need another blog to read. They don't need another podcast. And I love Ask Pastor John. But they do not need that more than they need you to be the dwelling place of God today and tomorrow. That's what a world wrecked by COVID that can't meet as a church needs more than anything else. It needs you to be the place where God dwells. In places where you work, in the places where you play, in the places where you get down on your knees with your kids, 
in the places where you cry, in the places where you cheer, you need to be the dwelling place of God. And if that happens, we don't really need this. We'll continue to meet because God is faithful. We'll continue to do the things that we do. But the biggest thing that we need is for you to be the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? How is your building project looking? When you think about your prayer life, when you think about walking with God, when you think about all of these things, do you realize that we are not building a tent, we are not building a temple, we are not building a church building? Every time you do those things, you are building in yourself the display of God's glory. How does your building project look? Because one day we will see this, Habakkuk 2.14, the earth, not just you, but the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. I believe every one of you that is looking at me wants to be a part of that. As I look at you, I I, I know your stories. I I, I know where you are. This is my biggest prayer. I I, I hope that we build a building and I hope that we don't have to worry about is the air going to come on all this thing. But I would rather this. I would rather be with the people that I'm with, those of you at home who I love, and be so concerned that each one of us is becoming a better dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That's what changes your neighborhood. Invite people to church. Tell them to tune in. Yes, yes, and yes, but not more than you're becoming the dwelling place of God. Everything that we do is us exiting, exodusing from the building of our own lives, the building to another world, which was just what the slaves of God's people were doing. They were building for some other king. God has set you free to not just build for him, but to build him into you and become the place where people hear, see, and draw near to God. Feel that responsibility, and you'll find that joy as he fills you. Let me pray, and then let's stand up and worship a God who saw fit to fill up a broken people like us. Father, as I I think about this book, I, I am so blessed that every story you start, you finish. As I think about every storyline that's represented in this room and in our church, I am so blessed to know that every cliffhanger ends with you drawing us near through the power of your son. I'm so grateful that every time in our lives it seems to fade to black. If we would just hold tight to the cross, hold tight to our faith, that the scene comes back on and we see more of your glory. There are so many things that we do with our lives, God. But may we, more than anything else, recognize the joy, the responsibility, the calling, the filling, and the empowering of us building the Spirit of God into us that we would become the dwelling place of God. That is going to change more lives than an incredible kids ministry or youth ministry, some amazing sermon or a real snazzy podcast. People seeing others love you with every bit of their lives has always been the greatest missions tool that you have given us. Help us never to forget it. 
and to feel the weight of it and run in the joy of it. We pray all these things in Christ's name.